Hey guys, welcome back to the 429 Podcast. I'm 2. I'm 4. I'm 9. And today's topic is going to be the right to repair. So let's start off, 9. Why don't you give us a definition of what is the right to repair? So the right to repair is basically allowing consumers the ability to repair and basically modify their own like electronic devices, whereas you would need like a, a manufacturer's own service to do so. Okay, now so- why do you... Why do you feel it's important that we should have right to repair or we shouldn't have right to repair? Well, I mean, I think with the current pandemic conditions, right, it might not be feasible to, you know, rely on uh, a manufacturer's services, you know, to repair such devices or to allow services for these devices. You know, sometimes uh, you should be able to, you know, if you know how to fix it or even hire a third party service. Uh, repair shop to fix it quickly they should have the means of the not only the parts but also the information and documentation needed to fix it you know um and furthermore as someone who's just really tech savvy and like really likes tinkering with products and stuff like that uh it just feels iffy that every time i want to like tinker with my own products that i purchase i can't even like i'm worried about like warranty or voiding some sort of contract with them because there's so much red tape with all of the repair especially in new york Mm-hmm. interesting for what's your thoughts so i mean obviously the right to repair is really important um you know without the right to repair you can have many different companies having you know almost total monopolies over the repairing on their products um i mean and that's obviously not good right no one company should ha- should be the only people able to fix a set of products right i mean let's look at a, a variety of companies right let's start with like tech companies for example you've got People like Microsoft and Apple who have their hardware and products, and um, luckily some of these some of these companies like Apple, for example, they're they've been kind of increasing their third party um, repair activities and programs, which is really great. But if they weren't doing that, they'd be the only people capable of fixing Apple products. And you know, with the amount of Apple products in the world, I mean, if they were the only ones able to fix it, they'd be able to charge whatever they wanted. A lot of people rely on their products, and it would be. Not a really good situation uh, for the consumers that purchase those products. Um, like I said, luckily, I know we've actually seen recently Apple is kind of increasing their third-party repair programs to Canada and Mexico. Right, Nine? I think you were telling me about that the other day. Yeah, yeah. So, like, recently Apple have uh, been pushing, especially I think they're also going to worry with the whole pandemic conditions, that they can't really provide the necessary services to, you know, as you know as normally to, you know, manufacture. And they want to extend the ability of their authorized uh, service uh, repair third parties to basically Mexico and Canada now. So that means that, you know, it's still through a channel support of Apple, but authorized third-party repair shops can now basically get the necessary documentation and parts and purchase them from Apple directly, which allows these, you know, third-party shops to basically allow you to service and, you know, work on your devices. So that means you're not only relying on Apple's uh, own line of support to you know fix your iphone or whatever you know this is a really guess, uh, kind of big big area as well right because right to repair you know being from the united states we're, we're pretty lucky where i mean we have some legislators that will fight for us on certain things and you know there have been a couple some legislation proposed to kind of you know ensure that for certain industries we have right to repair um and that's that that's really great um but not not all countries have those same how do i put it benefits they don't have those same guarantees that we have um, and I mean, it's not even the fact that we have those guarantees. That's great. But in other countries, they might not even be able to use the manufacturers like authorized repairing, right? For let's take, let's take some, some countries like, um, I don't know, maybe India or China or countries where maybe these companies don't have as big of a presence, right? If they don't have the right to repair their products, they don't have the proper, um, pieces and components they need. They don't have the proper documentation and tools. And they also can't use authorized repair centers or send stuff directly to Apple or whoever we're talking about's repair center. How are they supposed to fix their products, right? So I think right to repair could be an even larger problem when it comes to international usage of products. Yeah, I agree. You know, to counter, I think to counter those points, right? I think I agree with you on that sense from an international standpoint. It's definitely tough for 
countries that don't have the support of these U.S.-based companies such as Microsoft, Apple, you know, mm-hmm. that it would be hard for them to get um, proper repairs done and everything. But, you know, on the flip side for right to repair, I think right to repair should be a thing, but I think within reason. So, and the reason I say this is because you don't want to give up the, I guess you want to say the competitiveness of these firms, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like Apple makes its money off of their hardware. As much as it may be on their software, their software can only run because of the custom hardware that Apple provides. Yeah. So when you start allowing people to actually tinker with their hardware and everything, it's sort of a drawback because you can have, you know, competitors like like we've seen in China, you know, reverse engineer Apple products and come up with um, maybe a better version or even a competitive version. And I'm not saying that's not, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, right? But it can also open gateways for other malicious activities to happen between these companies. Mm-hmm. So I guess it really comes down to, would you rather trust, you know, Apple or would you rather trust a Chinese company building a product that's very similar to an Apple product, right? Well, I mean, yeah, and- that's a good point. That's a very good point. I would say another thing also to, on top of that, to be a you know, devil's advocate would be the idea, you know, this is their brand, right? At the end of the exactly. Day. Like, uh, sure, I mean, you buy the product, it's your product, right? But whatever, anything you uh, tinker with them, you're still using, you know, uh, Apple's, uh, you know, trademark copyrights, their technology, right? And if you're given the ability to just tinker away and modify in any way you seem fit, um, and then, heaven forbid, there's like an issue or an error, right? Now it becomes very difficult for Apple to, you know, repair it if, if all those arise, because you know you don't know what they what exactly you tinkered, you you worked outside of their scope of what a user should be allowed to do, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, and it, and it puts them in a bad spot because now the user be like, well, you know, we can't fix my product. Well, that that's bad service, you know. And that essentially just damages their brand. That's yeah. the biggest issue because you don't want to undermine your brand. Your brand is your ultimate asset, right? Exactly. So when you see these fake iPhones going around or these fake iPods or fake AirPods or whatever they are, right? They, it undermines Apple's brand, for example. But that's only an example from like Apple's side. You can take this example and put it in multiple different industries, you know, like we've seen with fake Xbox games that have come out that undermine the software of Xbox, right? Yeah, or PlayStation too, even to that extent. Uh, there's some fake PlayStations I actually saw that actually really, you know, I was I wouldn't say convincing because they, they run terribly, but just the the actual product design mm-hmm. of like the box shape and everything, it's pretty much identical to a PlayStation. But internally the electronics are completely different. You know, they're shelled, they're, you know, just really old crappy parts that they just got from somewhere. But the fact that if you were to take a PlayStation, be able to modify it or you know get full documentation how it works, then that can they can the market would just be flooded with these like cheap knockoffs. And that right? really kills Sony's brand and mm-hmm. right and like we already we, we already spoke in an earlier podcast if you guys haven't heard about the future of gaming right where Check we already out. where we already discussed you know where we see console game uh, console gaming heading and where we see PC gaming heading and everything right. Yeah, check so, it out by the way. If it undermines Sony's brand, right, or Microsoft's brand, take Xbox, for example, right, Mm -hmm. then it really just hampers, you know, the quality of the software we're going to be getting at the end of the day. Because I'm in some sense okay with not having the right to repair. For example, example, an iPhone, I'm perfectly okay with not having the right to repair on that type of product because it really just gives – it really gives Apple the full – control i would say to give us the best possible features yeah right? mm-hmm. and you can argue and you can argue yeah you know i may have bought a product and at the end of the day you know apple has full control of it you can say that but i'm technically leveraging their service i could have easily have chosen to go with a competitor of theirs maybe a samsung phone maybe a um another type of android phone where i could tinker with it play with it and use it right but I purposely chose to go with this because of the software and the services that they provide. So that was, again, a consumer decision. That wasn't necessarily a decision on rights of repair. Yeah, I don't think I should, you know, speaking on the, that's pretty much one of uh, Apple's main appeals, right? Their control of their hardware, 
on their software, right? And they're tight control to allow such seamless experience from the user, right? That's what makes them, I think that's what gives it what people call the Apple Edge over Android and Samsung, right? That everything you see from the way the phone is designed, from the hardware specs to the software works so integrated with every single, not just with that product, but with every single Apple product because it's designed with every single element designed. And they wouldn't get such close-knit integration unless they had full control of everything. You know? And you could say the mm-hmm. same thing for Google with their Google Pixel line. Right? Yeah, but that's another thing I want to mention, actually. Compared to Google and Samsung, right? Um, a lot of people have been praising Apple recently, and I agree with the praise, that they've been really pushing privacy, right, to the forefront of what they of what they want to achieve, right? Um, the new iOS 14 update has been shown, even in the beta phase, have been showing a lot of what a lot of uh, apps are maliciously copying from your you know clipboard and stuff like that. And it's showing how much how much power they have uh, to our data, right? Mm-hmm. And it's only because that Apple has so much control of of its software and its hardware that it can narrow down uh, pretty much prime uh, privacy-focused features for the users, right? Compared to like Google, who basically makes Android the software but has to essentially, what's it called, license out to many other manufacturers for their phones, right? Right? They can't make a fully integrated software with every single phone that in that uses Android because there's so many phones. I think there's like a thousand every year made that uses the Android's license, right? So because you have such disconnect from the software and the hardware, Google has constantly always been criticized that uh, there's like it's like Google Play App Store has is filled with like you know malicious apps, right? And like trash. Um, what's it called, like data gathering apps. And that's because they can't have that tight integration with their hardware and their software. Well, Apple, because they're so focused on control and monetizing every single element of the process, you can. that's why they have such much more cleaner uh, app store environment compared to Google. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I do want to talk about one thing, right? So I know we're talking about a lot about like branding and how, you know, having third-party people service it or having me myself service my own products could possibly make a company look look bad or kind of ruin their reputation, I guess, right? Um, I think we would really need to see a kind of culture shift, right? So, I mean, people would just need to understand that, okay, let's say my phone breaks, I'm going to get it repaired by a third-party third party, third party uh, repair guy, right? Because it's, you know, maybe half the price of what the actual um, company that owns the phone is going to charge. I just need to, as a consumer, understand that, I'm paying less because I'm not getting it serviced by the people who can service it the best, right? It's, in my opinion, it's just a, it's, a, it's a kind of culture shift that needs to happen surrounding how we perceive kind of repairing and how we perceive companies uh, as, as a whole, right? So just because my phone, let's say my screen breaks and maybe I get it repaired by a third party and there's a bubble under my new screen, an air pocket, right? That's not Apple's yeah. fault. That's my third-party provider's fault, right? I shouldn't now think of this and say, oh my gosh, you know, Apple is such a bad company, my new screen has a bubble under it. That's my third-party provider's fault for doing a shoddy job at installing the screen, right? So I think that that's kind of just an understanding that would need to happen if we really want to have full right to repair and not have it impact how people perceive different companies. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, I agree with you there. So... You would definitely need a cultural mindset shift into the whole right to repair stuff that, yes, it's not Apple's fault or Microsoft's fault or Google's fault, right? It would be the fault of whoever that third-party repairer is. But then when you go from that third-party repairer and then you go take it to Apple and then Apple tells you that, oh, hey, we can't fix this or Google tells you that, hey, we can't fix this, right? They're Mm -hmm. doing what's justifiably right because that's what... That's what's yeah. in the terms and service, right? Yep. You sign when you people don't most people don't know this, but when you buy a product from Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, whatever it may be, if it's a hardware product, it comes with the terms of service agreement, right? And Apple's terms of service agreement, it clearly states that if you choose to modify their hardware or if you choose to jailbreak your phone, for example, for those of you who don't know, jailbreaking is modifying the software on your phone to install um apps outside of the app store for Mm -hmm. example and create your own custom sort of like layouts and stuff but if you choose to go outside of apple's ecosystem right apple clearly states that 
it's not responsible. And so I find that okay. And to your point on right to repair um, industry, right? We have a whole industry dedicated to, you know, tinkerers and everything like that. So you can take the example of a Raspberry Pi, right? Mm -hmm. Or an Arduino system. So you have that tinkering, you know, industry where it's all on you at the end of the day. Like you go buy the Raspberry Pi for $100, $200, depending on the brand you're getting, right? And you go build whatever you want with it. You want to build a crazy server? You want to build a helicopter? Go for it, right? You have your Raspberry Pi, go with it. And Mm -hmm. so I guess there needs to be a semblance of balance between, you know, right to repair and the hardware that you're buying from a company, whether it's a Pixel from Google or an iPhone from Apple, um, or even a, a gaming system, like take the Switch, for example, right? Like you really want to be able to modify like the Nintendo Switch or like back then, like the Nintendo Wii or something. Mm-hmm. Like that would have put Nintendo at such a huge, huge, huge disadvantage compared to Apple and Sony, right? Well, you know, I think we need to kind of make a distinction here, right? So there's, I think there's a big difference between right to repair and right to tinker, right? Right to repair, at least to me, that means that I have the capability to fix my own products or someone else can fix it for me that's not the manufacturer of that product, right? Right to tinker, I mean, I think realistically you always have that right. I mean, like, I don't, I mean, like, for example, I can bust open my iPhone and start doing what I want to it, but I mean, the only thing that needs to be understood is that Apple is then not responsible for what happens to my phone. And I mean, I think that's perfectly reasonable. If I start messing around with the inside of my phone, there's no reason why Apple should be responsible to fix my mistakes when if I just followed their guidelines, I would have had no problems. I, th- I think what's going on is a lot of people get what what they perceive as the right to tinker or the right to repair. Mm-hmm. They perceive that they can tinker all they want, but without the consequences of that. Yeah. You know, I would say, you know, as someone who tinkers a lot, right, I tinker a lot of my own products, right? And I still try to follow within the guidelines and i know purposely well when i like for example gaming consoles a really good uh, example right i tinkered with my switch right i modify it not ex- ex- like heavily but like you know cosmetically right and i knew that would one void the warranty right and i knew too that if anything happens to it that's my consequences mm-hmm. right like if i broke it if i you know, misline uh, a ribbon here or they didn't fix uh, a bottom alignment there, that thing will be broken. And, you know, the, the Joy-Cons of the Switch are one of the most, I, I, I've been heard, are one of the most toughest repairs you can do because yeah. there's so many complicated technologies and it's such a small package, right? And I've done it. But throughout the whole thing, I was thinking if I even misalign one ribbon, that's it. There's mm-hmm. no way, and I have no right, and I have no foundation to stand on to be like, well, it's not working on Nintendo, fix it, because mm-hmm. they don't have to. And exactly. I know. So you I, basically forego your right to repair when you decide to open that hardware and go with it, which exactly. is fine. If you want, if you know what you're doing, you know how to fix it, you know how to go with it. You have the, you obviously have the right to repair it yourself, right? Yeah. But like, you forego your right to repair by the manufacturer. Right, which mm-hmm. is, I think, completely fair in the grand scheme of things because you chose to do something that was out of their agreement when you decided to purchase it. Yep. I, I think what comes down to it is a lot of people have issues that the, for people who do have the technical skill and the knowledge to do such repairs, right? Um, it's, that's a thing that's mostly what uh, irritates them, but they don't have the access to purchase the parts they need yeah. or the documentation that they need to fully understand what they're doing, oh, you yeah. know? Yep. I think that's what really comes down to. I don't think the whole right to repair really stands on for like, you know, you know, John Doe, who's trying to, you know, who's the first time ever, he never soldered anything in his life and he wants to uh, modify his switch and he breaks it. And he's like, oh, my, my it's Nintendo, why won't he fix it? That's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's more to like, like uh, a technician who knows, you know, circuitry, embedded systems, and stuff like that, and he, he has a Joy-Con drift. You know, a a problem mm-hmm. that's been pegging a lot of Joy Cons, and uh, actually, uh, unfortunately, you know, having legal trouble with Nintendo right now, and he just wants to fix it. He knows what the problem is. He knows what the part is, but he just can't get an actual. And he wants to get he wants to get the part from an authorized seller. Like he's willing to pay extra to get it from an authorized seller like Nintendo, but there's no means to do it. He has to go through 
a Chinese third party like AliExpress, and he doesn't like that idea. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to: lack of accessibility and a lack of working with these companies for people who do have the technical abilities to do so. Let's uh, but let, I want to think about dis- something here, right? Mm-hmm. Let's Go think about it. these limitations, right? So let let's let's th- let's come up with a hypothetical situation, right? Let's say, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Apple comes up with this new way to install processors, and it requires this really special machine to do it, but by installing the processor like this, maybe they can make their laptops that much thinner, right? Just just, just for example. Now, Apple goes and gets a patent on this machine that they're now installing their processors with, right? Yeah. If right to repair is, a, is, is legally required by Apple, but they have a patent on their machine and they don't want to sell that machine, how could that ever be enforced fully? Because now you technically don't have the right to replace your own processor anymore because you need this special machine that Apple made and has a patent on, right? So this is, I kind of think that there are a lot of edge cases that could that also need to be handled uh, in terms of like legalities like that. Yeah, but like, for example, in that one that you just mentioned, right? That's Apple's trade secret. Right. And they have the right to come up with that trade secret. The technique, of course, I'm not a lawyer. So anyone listening, please take all this with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Um, Apple has the right to come up with their own unique techniques and approaches to actually install hardware on their machines. Now you choose to actually open up the machine and install your own processor or your own RAM or whatever. Again, you're foregoing that right to repair is what. Well, no, 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 no. I think you think you misunderstood me, right? So what I'm saying is it's your right to repair your broken processor, right? That's that's what you're saying. You have the right to repair your own stuff. But now mm-hmm. Apple is, is Apple is using a special, um, how do I put it, like special machine to install some of their Housing. components that they then have a patent on that machine, right? So now you don't have access to that machine. They have a patent on it, so you physically can't make it. You can't buy it. They're probably... Maybe there could be, but the odds of there being a third-party machine like that that they don't, you know, kind of claim is infringing on their patent would probably be low, right? How I feel like, like I said, there kind of needs to be, I think, a balance, right? This is almost like an edge case where now their patent, which they have legally and they're allowed to have, right? And they're not forced to, to give people rights to it. They're not forced to license it. They're not forced to make more of them, right? Now... Even if right to repair is legislate uh, is, is required by legislation, which it, in most places it's not right now, um, now they have a patent that backs this up, and now those two pieces of legal paperwork conflict with each other. So how do you solve that problem? I think this is another big problem. Well, then again, I guess you can just say at the consumer level, right? If you go into Apple and you want to go do that repair, right? Like you mm-hmm. give Apple your laptop, Mac, whatever it is, to actually go install, go and fix the processor, right? But again, if they're charging you like $10,000 to fix that processor, right, something's flawed here, right? Yeah. We all understand that. I right? think I think Apple's current approach is actually kind of handles that pretty well. I think that they, they realize this issue, which is pretty much having a very close selection of authorized, uh, uh, what's it called, repair shops in mm-hmm. their program. Exactly. Right? There's, a, there's a process in which they basically audit this repair shop, basically, right? They, you know, they do the legal processing. They ensure that you know it's a legit repair shop, that they have, you know, good customer, um, you know, feedback, and essentially that they will represent them as a company well in their services, right? Mm-hmm. And if they do pass this process and they do enter the program, um, one, there's always a, a, a direct connection to them and Apple, right? Which means that if they need a special machine to do it, they can purchase it, right? And two, that means Apple host has a direct connection to them so that they can, if they see that, you know, they're handling customers badly or they're doing repairs badly and stuff like that, Apple can have the, you know, the legal, you know, process to be like, no, you're no longer on the program, you're out, right? Mm-hmm. But the fourth point with that special machine that Apple has, right? Obviously, if Apple is charging outrageous fees, like say if they didn't have third party uh, people to go, come and fix your uh, Apple, Apple appliances, appliances? tech well, apple Devices. tech whatever uh whatever um you still at the end of the day well lost my train of thought but you still at the end of the day can go to apple and have it fixed now again if apple is charging you five ten grand to just fix it and it may and like you know we've seen instances of other companies right that you know they charge more to actually fix it than getting a new version or a new product for theirs now 
that's where I guess the whole competitive aspect comes in because someone can go and make a better product, right? Or maybe not a better product, but a product that's more affordable to consumers, right? That undermines Apple's market. And so you as a business owner, business operator, and like how Apple, for example, as the business operator would realize that, hey, we can't charge five grand for a repair, even though we can, Apple can easily charge $5,000 for a repair if they wanted to for a screen, for example, right? Yeah. But they're smart that they're smart. It's smart business sense to not charge that much and to only charge as, as bare minimum or as necessary as possible with their margins, Mm -hmm. right? As much as the market will bear. Exactly. Exactly. Just so they stay competitive and you don't see, you know, Microsoft come out with a phone tomorrow that completely undermines Apple's whole ecosystem. You know, you know I, I think also you should all take account the, the the amount of tech and knowledge that needs to do some of these repairs. Right. Where like we were talking about like levels of difficulty that's beyond it could be even a, a simple repair technician can do. Right. If you're if, like, for, let's take the example further that special machine housing. Right. It's probably working on like nano levels of technology, right? Yeah. You're talking about like nano uh mill nano milliliters of like circuitry that you have to house in order to get the processing to hook up to the to the board and get it to compile. So that's why it's so thin and you know to get it run and to spec. That's something like no one's gonna have the the skill or the the machine equipment to do unless you're specially trained, especially by Apple. Mm-hmm. If this is like their own proprietary technology. So like a cost that high could be justifiable if the, if the technology and the job needed to do so is, you know, that difficult, right? This is not just me changing the housing on my switch, right? This is like mm-hmm. new levels of difficulty. You know, like for, you're definitely aware of Moore's law, you know, how transistors are getting smaller and smaller every two years and stuff like that. So Apple's able to do incredible things. Apple is just one example we're going with here. Guys, any tech company or any company any in the world can actually has- go with mm-hmm. this. Deals with right. this. I mean, like Microsoft is another big one, right? And you know, you can even say that Microsoft's kind of taking uh, maybe either a step backwards or forwards with how they're recently announced that they're closing their stores, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that some people view that as like, okay, a lot of people view that as like Microsoft has stores. Like a lot of people didn't even know that. <laughs> but I kind of view it as a kind of like a, a downgrade because I saw a lot of stories and I agree with them that like, you know, even if you're a tech company, I think you should always have a presence, you know, and like in the physical realm. Because being able to talk to someone who knows the technology, who's been trained mm-hmm. by these companies, and in basically getting, knowing that the knowledge I'm getting from them is, you know, legit, and that they've, you know, been trained to basically give us right information and help me organize my thoughts and basically point me in the right point, that's always been really valuable for me. That's why I really like going to the Apple stores. You know, every time I go there, I feel like I'm essentially getting, I'm always pointing in the right direction. Mm-hmm. If it's something technical problem or even trying to buy a product, I'm given an experience where I'm pointing in the right direction and I'm not feel like I'm getting like a, a sales pitch, you know? And that's why I also really like the Microsoft stores. I'm really sad to see them, you know, completely disappearing now. You know, I think we should talk a little bit about how the different industries play a, play a role in, I guess, the kind of the right to repair that you should have, right? So like, yeah. For, for example, I know we just talked about processors, right? Processors are very delicate, very unique and complex pieces of computing equipment right above my pay grade yeah the, the right to repair for a processor that needs a certain machine to be made with and you know all these other things might be different than your right to repair your gaming pc right that uses that as a component yeah so i mean l- l- there's a couple different like i would say like kind of main industries that i would talk about right we have electronics there's automobiles there's you know maybe gaming and medical um I mean, all, all of these different kind of industries are going to have, I guess, different requirements when it comes to repairing those products. Um, so w- what are your opinions on that, guys? Well, you have, you have a valid point, right? Like, like you know, streaming to what I said earlier, the difficulty is just the curve of difficulties uh, so, like, exponentially different between in different industries, right? Mm-hmm. And not even that, just the circumstances of them are also exponentially different. Like, the circumstances in the gaming industry is far different than the circumstances in the medical industry, right? Mm-hmm. While one is just, man, I can't play NBA 2K20 today compared to this man might die. That's <laughs> a big difference there. It's a very yeah. big difference, right? So, like, you can't treat, like, you can't have one legislation as, like, a, a blanket 
solution for all these industries you know, because they're, it would be so different. That it, you're so right there. Uh, too, go ahead. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, For I agree with you in that sense that I don't think we can have a broad les- legislation that says, hey, you know, whatever product you buy, you have the right to repair it, right? Because it can, in, for example, in the tech industry and the gaming industry, right? It can hamper competitive advantages, mm-hmm. right? But in other industries, such as the medical industry, the farming industry, it, it can literally be the difference between life and death, right? Yeah. In the medical industry, as we've seen with the current pandemic, so for those of you who don't know, we're recording this in um, 2020, where we're currently undergoing the coronavirus pandemic. And so, you know, it can physically save someone's life, as we've seen with the ventilators and everything. Mm-hmm. But And even in the farming industry, right? The farmers, I think, should have a right to repair because they are growing, they are growing food for the, for the United States. You know, you know, the Midwest is the breadbasket of the United States. So they're growing food for the whole United States to actually feed a population and continue going. Mm-hmm. So when you hamper those abilities, you are really talking about the life and death of people. Whereas in gaming and tech, it's, it may not necessarily be life and death, Right, but I think you can be more lenient on right to repair if you're getting a better service at the end of the day, yep. such as we've seen these companies such as Nintendo, Apple, Microsoft, you know, all provide at the end of the day. Now, I think when we talk about the medical industry, this is kind of a, a really unique, a unique uh, industry when it comes to right to repair. So yeah, I agree. Let's let's think about exactly what it would mean for the medical industry if right to repair was a thing, right? So let's say I'm some executive at a hospital and I decide I want to buy, you know, a thousand ventilators, right? And, yeah. you know, if right to repair was just a blanket thing that everybody has the right to repair products, right? And no one can say otherwise. Maybe I could walk in as Joe Schmo off the street, get hired and go fix ventilators, right? Now, obviously that shouldn't happen, right? I mean, I think in the medical industry, it should be more required for kind of specialized, maybe certified medical technicians that work on medical equipment and have proven their ability to do it, to fix medical uh, equipment that's actually used on real patients, as opposed to just anyone being able to fix this stuff. Um, Agreed. I don't know if that's something that would be addressed by specifics in terms of like civil suits that would go on when, uh, let's say that right to repair is just blanket legislation and some rando guy fixes a ventilator and it didn't fix it properly and some guy dies because of that, right? Is that a civil suit that should happen after that, which would then cause the hospital to say, oh, you know, we have to have certified technicians and they'd have to be kind of uh, written in as policy and procedure instead of as actual legislation. Personally, I think it would be better as actual legislation because I know policy and procedure doesn't always get followed properly. And, you know, when you're playing with people's lives, it's a little different than just money. So I, 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 I do think it needs to be looked at a little bit differently. I think also another thing to point, you know, back to that Joe Smo example, right? Uh, these types of documentations of like Mendeley's and stuff, they shouldn't be so easily accessible, right? Because God forbid um, someone tries to, you know, use the documentation in some malicious way to sabotage these ventilators, right? Like the damage that can do, you know? Mm-hmm. They, 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 this is not type of like I said. The circumstances in this industry is so vastly different than in the game and electronic, right? You're, you're talking, you're playing with people's lives here, so they, they shouldn't have, you know, detailed diagrams or blueprints of, you know, ventilators and other medical equipment that are basically keeping people alive, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I do I believe they disagree. Really? Yeah. So I, I think that having those detailed diagrams public is better for everybody. And I think, I really think the odds of someone sabotaging a ventilator is really, really slim as opposed to a medical technician needing that documentation and not being able to find it. I I think it should be pretty much accessible to everybody. I think it would be really good for training medical technicians for it to be accessible. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be. is, is, Is a bad thing. I don't think, I'm not saying it shouldn't be accessible. I'm just saying it should be accessible by the right people. I'm saying like Joe Smo shouldn't be able to basically Google it and get the documentation. I'm saying that if you're going to, basically like you said earlier, like you you have to been trained to be a technician, right? And if you've been trained as a technician, you probably work for a company that's, you know, registered on the, I mean, let's say a program that allows access, you know? It's, it's kind of the same thing how like, you know, in any industry, you shouldn't have, you know, 
access the documentations that you know everyday citizens should have. Well, I'm saying it. Let, let's think about this, right? So, for example, mm-hmm. in, in a hospital situation, I definitely think that that's true. Where we're I, talking I, about hospital right now. Remember, we're talking about medical right now. Well, well, well. There's other medical devices, right? Let's take, for example, you have uh, a pacemaker. A, a pacemaker, or you have a, a, a diabetes monitor. I think this is a little bit kind of like easier, right? Let's say your diabetes monitor is having problems and okay. you want to fix it yourself. Once again, now this is life or death. If you fix it wrong, that's You're your dead. fault. <laughs> you might not be able to notice that your blood sugar is dropped and you might go into a diabetic coma, right? Like this could happen. But once again, you decided to fix it yourself. So you reap the consequences of trying to fix your own stuff. And I think. If you want to fix your own stuff, you should be able to access the documentation to fix that stuff. And I mean, I think there are plenty of people who need uh, medical devices in their day-to-day lives and have them in their own home and use them for only themselves. And I think by limiting that documentation, you stop them from accessing stuff that only they're going to use. You know, in in a hospital, I think it's definitely different because now you're in the business of, of, of helping people and the business of saving people. But when it comes to personal equipment that you own yourself i don't think that just because these devices are mostly used in a hospital that you shouldn't be able to find the documentation you want oh it's hard to say because you know once again that's still a situation of life and death right and if someone's willing to mess with their own pacemaker right knowing the consequences that they're going to die i feel like they should they should even have that option that they're basically even you know attempt that if you're if you're if you're only if you're gonna fix your pacemakers only because you have the knowledge and already work in an industry where you have that type of knowledge, so you really should have that documentation. Not someone who's like, I want to fix my pacemaker, or it's a little I thought maybe I should go to the hospital. Now nah, maybe I'm gonna fix it right now. But I think this comes back to the point of legislation at the end of the day versus policy that Ford brought up, right? Now, you can pass legislation, at least within the United States. I cannot speak for the rest of the world. But at least within the United States, you can pass legislation that affects certain industries. Like we saw in 2009, after the financial crisis, the legislation put in place on the financial industry. We have seen legislation put in on other industries, such as oil, tobacco, and even um, even medical, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you can specify right to repair per industry, but I guess it would really depend on, you know, how far do you want to take that right to repair? Do I think there should be a right to repair on the tech industry? In a limited sense. I think there should be a right to repair on the tech industry in a limited sense, given that the right to repair is not necessarily hampering the service you're going to get, right? Yeah. But in the medical industry, I think there should be a full-blown right to repair, right? Just so it can ease costs for everyone involved right? It may be anti-competitive for the hospital industry, right? But at the end of the day, if, you know, if they're losing a couple hundred bucks by just having some certified technician who's already on call at the hospital, just fix a ventilator when it could be a life or death situation, mm-hmm. right? I think that's a, I think that's a hundred percent worth because you saved a person's life at the end of the day, instead of just a couple hundred bucks and maybe a three-day wait time to have someone actually come in on call, Mm -hmm. especially as we've seen throughout this whole pandemic situation. You know, stuff like this is unpredictable. So it can really affect, you know, the life or death of a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, right now, I think the problem is, like, when we said back earlier, there's just a lack of access to these documentations. It's not even even that we're, we're even saying right now that, Oh, certain technicians shouldn't, certain technicians should. But to Forrest's point, I think that documentation by legislation be required if they release that equipment. So if you release a piece of ventilator equipment into the market, by law, you should release some sort of some sort of service documentation that can help um, or some licensing courses or something, a training course, right? Mm-hmm. That will help people understand how the system works and how they can fix it. But now this what, is this is in particular if, to the medical industry. Well, what if okay? Let's get back to the you know to another edge case, right? Similar to the one we had earlier. What if it's using a part uh, like a trade secret of this company, right? And they don't want their competitors to know, you know, this ventilator has a unique way, uh, let's say, reducing costs and still providing the same quality other ventilators at a lower cost, right? 
but it's it's designed in a way where they they can't just release documentation because you know, well, it will give away their secrets. Well, then say? at the end of the day, you may not have to release the documentation, but then you can. Then, but then what you can also do is provide training courses. You can actually be. You can actually get certified by that company itself and get paid for that certified training course, right? Mm-hmm. To do it. So I would have to pay. The hospital may have to pay two to five thousand dollars, for example to get their one engineer certified on this particular brand of ventilator, right, that they use. But at the end of the day, that's a net benefit for them because now they have an engineer on call that can actually fix the ventilator and the company at the end of the day didn't have to um, lose their trade secret because they trained one specific person. Now, there's always the possibility that that one specific person can go tell a competitor what happened, right? But you can say that about any industry. Mm -hmm. I can go work for Apple today and go take those trade secrets and go to Microsoft. But at the end of the day, that doesn't make you that that's just showcasing your morals at the end of the day. Personally, whatever information I learned from my company, I would not give it to another company just because that's just not the right thing to do. It mm-hmm. should just be based off of your skill set and what you're required to do for the job. But that that can be something that can come up. Yep. No, that's yeah, definitely that's, true. And I mean that's a good point. You you're you're totally right. I mean, a lot of trade secrets are kind of brought back and forth from different companies every day and when companies find out about their trade secrets getting leaked what do they do they go ahead and file civil suits i mean these are i think these are cases that might be kind of covered um in a lot of our legal system already i mean yeah that's a good point i think another thing we should mention right is how you know the backlash of some of these companies right as a you know as these right to repair movements have gained momentum in the last few years right uh, like the uh, the de- the DMCA, right? Uh, so you have any thoughts about the M- DMCA for? Can you define the DMCA? So the DMCA is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, right? It's essentially a legislation to, as uh, we said earlier, uh, these uh, big corporations are able to essentially copyright on you know patents or designs stuff like that, and they use it as a, a focal point on why they shouldn't release you know documentation or authorized parts to third parties or consumers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so any thoughts on that so i really don't like the dmca um i think that with with a lot of the things that companies are kind of hiding behind that law and those acts um it really infringes upon right to repair you know i mean for example i've seen loads of companies hiding their documentation and service booklets and other other uh, kind of components and um, kind of how they put stuff together and all of these different things that would be used when repairing different products and devices. And they hide these behind, oh, oh, sorry, that's copyright. You can't see that. That's copyright. We own that. You can't post that. I'm sorry, that's copyright. And I mean, I I like copyright. I think that that's obviously necessary in our current you know legal system. But if they're not going to let other people post these document uh, the documentation online, they should be required by law to post it themselves, you know. And I mean, like I said, it's it, maybe it's going to be different per industry, but in, in certain industries, especially the medical industry, especially right now, everyone should have access to the documentation required. So that way, you know, technicians can repair stuff without having to wait, you know long times and pay outrageous prices to get um, ventilators, like I said, for right now fixed. You know, they can get it fixed in an hour instead of, you know, a week. And, I mean, this is literally life and death, especially right now during COVID. And it's very sad that companies won't just publish this documentation willingly. Yeah, this is definitely something, you know, I went back to saying earlier. Um, I still would depend on the industry, right? So it's like tech companies, I would not, I'd be a little more lenient on just because I know at the end of the day, or at least I feel at the end of the day, I don't know, but I feel at the end of the day, I'm getting a better service by, by foregoing my right to repair. Right. But for other industries such as, you know, for alluded to that. Yeah. For the medical industry, we should probably have the right to repair and those documentations be online and not covered by DMCA just because again, it can be the matter of life or death. Right. It's not just a matter of, it's not just a matter of, oh, let me protect my trade secret so I can make a better bottom line. No, this is a matter of someone's life literally on the line who can die at any moment in time, right? And time is the most important asset that they have at that point. 
right? So yep. it needs to be, it, it can't be behind a law. Such a, it can't be used for an industry like that for DMCA, I would say. I think it also apply to. But to be fair, but so before before yeah before you continue, but to be fair, I'm not fully aware of DMCA, so please I have to read through that whole law section before I can make a valid even make even a valid comment too. So I like I said, I think this can be applied to agriculture. Uh, the same the same thing that two said basically, the same reasoning can be made for the agriculture industry. The, these farmers, mm-hmm. right? They provide such a service to. Our, not for our country, but over our, our world, right? They're, they basically provide the food that we rely on, you know, stuff that everyone needs, right? And by limiting basically, you know, essential equipment that they need, right? Uh, and you got to know, you know, these farmers, they don't, they, don't, they don't just make tons of money, right? So every, every dollar counts for them, right? Mm-hmm. And like blocking them out of essential equipment that they need are basically pushing them to foreclosure because um you know a company would basically say you can't repair your equipment because you have to do it for only us and it costs well beyond their pay grade you know it's only it's only hurting us in the end for the sake of monetary gain you know these com- these these farmers a lot of them know their equipment inside and out right they work with it daily they mm-hmm. they, they love it this is this is like you know probably like a family generation uh, industry for them, right? Uh, so of course they're gonna know how you know their equipment works and how it does, and they could probably do easily if they have the right parts or even the right documentation to ensure they don't you know damage it, right? But and like I said earlier, I think even for that agriculture industry, documentation should be easily accessible for these people. You know, same similar to the medical thing. It's not as life and death critical, but at the end of the day, they still you know. If if our if our you know food makers of our industry go down or anything in any way, which has been steadily going down in the last you know few year a uh, few years, then it could be disastrous news for us as a whole. You know. Yeah, starvation is deadly. So- starvation is deadly. I've been told. Um, I'm not sure about that, but I I, I, st- I I still have to get the verdict on that. But I don't want to find out. And I I think you know like we said earlier at the end of the day, you, you can't just put a blanket you know case for the right to repair to everything, right? Mm-hmm. As we, we said this numerous times at the podcast, medical, yeah, come on. Our culture, yeah, come on. But electronics and gaming, that's, that's a bit... De- debatable. Debatable, right? I mean, I think I think the way Apple is doing it is pretty much, i say, the, the way to go right now, right? I think that's, that's pretty much the ideal way to have an authorized reseller, right? Apple trains these guys, it's a two-way relationship trust. You know, if the guys mistrust Apple, uh, like, you know, like you said earlier too, you know, these guys, they learn from Apple so they can easily take their secrets somewhere else. But that comes down to moral, right? Why would they do that? That just severs their relationship and then it's going to hurt them more because no one's going to hire someone who does that, right? And at the end of the day, it's a trust with Apple because Apple can gain a lot of knowledge from this too. They can get to know our, uh, what's it called? A lot of our clients can't afford this level of repair maybe you can be more lean on it or this we're getting a lot of repair jobs for this particular problem mm-hmm. why are we getting so much problem maybe you can you know look into that or even later on we had they have too much repair jobs especially with the covid right now there, there's just no apple stores to go to right now like their, their their level of support is limited so by opening the industry opening the program up but still having a close eye and surveillance everything you provide the same quality that apple is able to get while still keeping it competitive to people and offering opportunities to uh, these small repair shops. So I think it's a win-win. And I think I'm, I really praise the way Apple for the last recent days for extending their program through, you know, Canada and stuff like that. And I hope, you know, over time they extend even more to other Europeans and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I honestly, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's not a blanket answer at the end of the day. You yeah. Know? You know, I, I, I agree. And, I agree. and, and we can go all back and forth about the whole, you know, future proofing thing, which, you know, I said this numerous times to you guys over and over again. Um, you know, Apple's like the, the number one corporate of, uh, co- uh, you know, uh, victim of like, oh, Apple's future proofing the devices. You know, they're doing it to, you know, keep you buying the next iPhone and stuff like that. But it's not, it's not as easy as, as that. The answer is not as clear as that. Apple wasn't doing it 
because they want you to buy the next iPhone. They will love you buy the next iPhone, but they're not slowing down your iPhone 6 just so you can buy the new iPhone 9 or X mm-hmm. or whatever, right? They're doing it because, once again, it comes back to their main principle. They want to have a great user experience, right? And with each update, um, uh, if you don't know this, each update has more data. So if your phone, which was five years old, and it keeps getting updated with more and more data, newsflash, it's going to get slower with more data. Your processor doesn't upgrade with the iOS update. It's still the same processing speed and probably slower over time since you used it and overheated it. So again, should Apple have been more clear on how they approached it? Yes, but I still don't think what they did was temp- was actually you know as bad mm-hmm. as people made it out to. I I think once again they're just so keen on having you a user experience, and that's something I I find a value. And I know that at the end of the day, at least with every time I buy an Apple product, every single little thing, every little from the user experience from the software to the hardware is thought thoroughly, and that's why I I will you know always prefer Apple products over to Android. At least for right now. I feel that was a personal call out right there for mentioning my five-year-old iPhone 6, but I will let that go. I'm just saying, <laughs> you can barely load Facebook if you wanted to with that phone. And if you can't even web- surf the website, then I, I mean, I'm just saying, you can't expect the next iOS update to you know carry you for the next seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but exactly. So I guess to that point of future-proofing and everything, again, this, this goes <laughs> back to what I mentioned earlier in Moore's Law, right? Hardware is advancing very quickly every two years, right? So there's no, I guess you can say, I kind of expect my iPhone 6 to not work as well as it did when I first got it just because technology is advancing. And I think that's the beautiful thing, right? It's very hard to future-proof. Very, very difficult to future-proof. You could have a, you could have bought a gaming PC, set it up with 64 gigs of RAM, right? But in 10, 15 years, you're probably going to have to swap that out for a higher level of RAM. You know, as, we, as we've seen, you know, you go from when they went to the moon on 100 and what was it? I think 128 kilobytes of RAM, Yeah. right? To my iPhone right now using, I think, a gig or two gigs of RAM, whatever it may be. Four right? gigs. Four gigs, even then, yeah. right? Or even like laptops and computers coming with 64 gigs. I think top of the line computers I've seen go for a terabyte of RAM. Yeah, that's I, like that's insane to me, right? Yeah, and you know they like, and the day you gotta remember that when Apple designs a new iOS, right? It's 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 with mind that they're that they're, they're using this iOS with the latest iPhone, and to be fair, Apple doesn't even have to make it compatible with the old phones, right? They're doing that because they want to have a user experience for all their fan base. Pretty much, if you ever see a phone get cut off in the newest iOS update, it's because it literally cannot handle it. Like they, they thought about the process thoroughly and they're like, this I, the iPhone 5 cannot handle the iOS 14. It literally would burn itself. It would crash and burn the user's hand if we try to run this. And even not even include not even including Apple. Take any phone, let's say five years or six years old right now, and try to load a popular website. It would struggle. It's not even just apps or updates or OS up, uh, updates that are you know tremendously growing over time because of the because uh, of uh, you know technology is increasing, but websites are also dramatically increasing. They're accessing more and more data every year, and your five-year-old phone is just not going to be able to load YouTube as fast as our current iPhone right now. And that's not because iPhones mm-hmm. trying to future-proof you out of existence. It's because it literally needs to have a better processor to run YouTube. If you want to attack Apple, you probably should also attack Google. You should attack every single website in existence for accessing so much more data. And at that point, you probably should just get a new phone. Well, let's let, let's get back on topic a little bit more, right? So let's let's talk about legislation surrounding right to repair. Um, so, what one of the big kind of breakthroughs that happened uh, many years ago was um, Bill H. Four three six two out of Massachusetts, enacted in 2012. This was an act protecting motor vehicle owners and small businesses in repairing motor vehicles. So essentially what this bill did was it required motor vehicle um, companies to release the same exact repair documents and give the same resources to third-party repair centers and small businesses um, as well as consumers 
that they were providing to their dealership operated repair centers, right? So this yeah. made it so that way anybody pretty much can provide these same or at least has the resources to provide the same degree of quality of work that the dealer operated repair centers are doing, right? So now this was a really big breakthrough in Massachusetts for their right to repair. Um, uh, Nine, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the other stuff, the right to repair laws that were, I believe, introduced in 2014. So a lot of people were, um, I think iFixit was one of the main pushers for this, but they were trying to introduce a bunch of repair to, uh, the right to repair laws uh, throughout four states. I think it was South Dakota, New York, Massachusetts, and Minnesota, I believe. Um, essentially, they wanted to introduce these laws um, to invoke the act of repair, as we said tons of times in the podcast. And they wanted to be, it become a legislation bill for it to essentially become legislation to allow you uh, consumers to you know have the ability to modify or repair the devices uh, on their own, mm-hmm. right? Um, unfortunately, um, if I believe some of the states got passed, but um, New York was unfortunately one of them that didn't. So right now, with the current uh, stance right now, New York, you're not allowed to have the right to repair. And the way it's going is basically, uh, you know, iFix and those other repair companies are still trying to push it, you know. And it, it felt like a trial run for them to, you know, slowly introduce it to the world. Mm-hmm. Their their current goal is to make this, you know, nationwide. They want this to be uh, a, a legislation that runs on a federal level, right? Um, but at the moment, it's, you know, it's being pushed back. And I don't know, right now, there hasn't been much updates since 2016. Um, I know California was also trying to, it was a separate uh, legislation action altogether, but California was also trying to evoke it, I think, back in 2018. Uh, different legislation, different party, but basically the same principle, the right to repair. And I think it's still in trial. I'm not sure. But essentially, you know, in the last few years, the, the, the movement to for you to repair, to have the right to repair your devices and, and consumer electronics has been growing. Yep, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, so we'll, we'll see how, you know, how it continues in the next four years. It might, you know, who knows? Maybe tomorrow we'll hear that Supreme Court rules that the right to repair is now legal throughout all the United States. Or it just might not go anywhere. You know, it's hard to say with these, you know, legal cases. I'm not an expert on it, you know, and I pretty much have no political stance or political opinion on how these things should run or, you know, knowledge of it. But, you know, I would like, I, I will hope to hear more about this mm-hmm. and, and see yeah, where it goes. For all you listeners out there, we're the last thing when it comes to being a lawyer. Like, <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're, we're, we don't know anything about that. No, we're just three tech guys, right? I so get my, like... I get my law knowledge from law and order that's pretty much my level <laughs> of expertise um but you know i honestly i legislation i'm really i'm just i'm, I'm really excited to see that the last few years has been gaining momentum uh but who knows what who knows what the next few years would say it's honestly i think with the whole pandemic we've been recently i think it's been shedding a new sort of point of view on it mm-hmm. right uh you know especially when we said medical field and stuff like that so we might see, you know, more people getting more emphasis on it. We might not. So it's hard to say. Yeah. So guys, like with that being said, I think we're cutting close to time here. So your let's wrap thoughts. up. Yeah. So wrap up. So Ford, let's start with yours. What are your final thoughts on everything we've discussed today surrounding the right to repair? So I, I, I personally, I really think right to repair should be a thing. Um, I really think I should be able to fix my own electronics. I would like to have the documentation to fix the stuff that I need to fix. And I mean, I'm especially keen on it being a thing in the medical industry and maybe there's some other gray areas in other industries, but, um, overall, I think in general, it's, it, it, it would be a good thing. And I think there's proper ways to do it. And I, I hope that we see some more traction and some more legislation coming up soon. All right. Nine, what are your final thoughts? You know, the more I think about it, the more I realize how much legislation nightmare you know it's not a, a blanket thing that everyone uh says it is right but i do hope it does get addressed more especially in crucial industries like medical and agriculture these are things that we shouldn't be dwelling on mm-hmm. and you know these are i would say like like for said earlier this is stuff he has a, to a point there should be some sort of level of openness 
to it because we shouldn't be playing with lives, right? This is stuff that should be acted on now. In terms of electronics and gaming and stuff like that, like I said, I think there should be, but to a, a range, you know, with exceptions, you know? And I, I honestly, I would like to see momentum. I would like to see uh, more opinions on this and I would like to see it still gain attraction, you know? I would hope that, you know, a year from now we have more news and we have more, uh, you know, introduction on this yeah no i agree with what both of you said right i think we made a couple of interesting points here today regarding you know separate industries whether it can be a blanket you know legislation across rights to repair or whether it has to be industry by industry yeah we even we even talked about whether it can be a life or death situation depending on the industry Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of little nuances that i think we've all learned today uh that stand around the right to repair it's not as easy it's not as easy so you answer, yeah. yep. and I have I have to watch more Law and Order to comment on the legislation. <laughs> really, really get a, a close opinion on it, but you know we'll see. Yep. All right, guys. Well, yeah. this has been the Four Two Nine Podcast. Uh, it was great talking with you guys today. I hope you all enjoyed listening, um, and we will see you again next week when we discuss the uh, difference between online multiplayer versus local multiplayer. But guys, yeah. leave us a thought. Leave us leave us your thoughts. Leave us your feedback. You know, we're really keen on getting your feedback. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well, at the 429 Podcast. So follow us, leave us some feedback, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yep. Take care, guys. Later, guys. Take care. Thanks. Bye.